slip it in. Welcome back, everybody, to episode number nine of the Big Players Only Podcast, a partner of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network. Make sure to check us and other amazing content creators out at listenfrederick.com. We have a great show for you today, recapping the winners on the men's and women's side from this past week, and then we're going to be talking all things Masters. The greatest week in golf is here. Let's soak it in. Welcome to Augusta. Welcome to the 86th edition of the Masters Tournament. We'll highlight all the exciting things happening this week and close out the show with our picks for the week. Maybe the big players can find another winner in this incredibly talented field. Hey, if you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram and follow us at BigPlayersOnlyPod. Our story is always up to date with breaking news in the world of golf, and our posts are really ramping up as we get into the heart of this PGA Tour season. In fact, just recently, the big players published an intense reel dedicated to the return of Tiger Woods. That's right, Tiger Woods is back. We'll talk about it more shortly, but we also got to shout out Sean Foley. Tiger's old coach reposted our reel on his story, getting our message out to more and more people. Thanks so much, Sean, and thanks to everyone else for being here. Let's have a great episode. All right, so a pretty decent week uh, this past week in golf. Three pretty cool events. Uh, Won the Valero Texas Open. J.J. Spawn takes it home. First-time tour winner. Outlasts a pretty talented field of pursuers in Matt Kuchar, Adam Hadwin, Gary Woodland, and Keegan Bradley. Secondly, the LPGA competed at the Chevron Championship this week, their first major of the year. Jennifer Cupshow takes it home. A 750K payday, so pretty good for the ladies' side. This is her uh, first major and her first title. Surprising, actually. I I was pretty surprised she hadn't won yet. She'll be the last person to jump into Poppy's Pond uh, as the tournament will be moving to Houston this upcoming year. Uh, She jumps from 36 in the world to 16 in the world. A pretty big jump. I think she was definitely like on that list of uh, the best players without a win and then definitely without a major. Uh, Recapping the... So, capping out the week, too, we had a really cool event at Augusta, the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Uh, Anna Davis takes home the title, a 16-year-old sophomore... Uh, winning what is being widely recognized as the top amateur event in the world for girls now. Uh, ben, I'd just like the record to show she is left-handed. She so is a just lefty. another elite left-handed golfer. And she was there. playing with another was lefty. Two? Yeah. yeah, there were two lefties <laughs> in that group. Uh, she probably would have won by four if she was a righty. <laughs> what was the other girl's name? Leif or, I don't know, Leif Erickson or something? I don't know. That's Swedish a, girl. That's a Viking. Rasmus? <laughs> <laughs> so she shoots 67 at Augusta, finishes the tournament at one under. She posts the clubhouse lead uh, with Latana Stone from LSU still on the course. Probably on hole like 13 or 14. Uh, Latana birdie 16, the classic bowl green at Augusta. F- f- you know, it, f- it rolls down to like two feet. She makes birdie. Uh, but then she really trips coming down the stretch. She bogeys 17 and then, or double 17 and bogeys 18 to give back three shots. A bit of an anticlimactic ending, uh, but a really great week for the amateurs. Uh, for a 16-year-old to win this event, I'm not sure we're going to see. This is only the third installment of this, but I'm not sure we're going to see anyone younger win it in many years to come. So let's kick it around to the guys for this past week in golf. Yeah, I mean, uh, picking up right where you left off there, the Augusta National Women's Amateur, that was my favorite event to watch over the weekend. I mean, obviously, we get to see Augusta National, get to see a preview of some of the changes they've made this year. But it's just such a cool event. And, 
It's kind of a testament to the progress that Augusta Nationals made. I mean, having a women's event there, supporting the amateurs, I would have liked to have seen more than just one round there. I think they play that other course. I forget what it's called. Champions Retreat. The yeah. two days and then take a day off where they get to all go play out there. It'd be cool to see more event or more days there for those those women playing in the amateur tournament. But still, just to be able to play there once in a tournament is has got to be really special for Do you them. think they just need to spread it farther apart from when the actual Masters is? They just don't want the course getting chewed up too much? Like if they did it two weeks prior or two weeks after? That's definitely got to play, play into it. I mean, these girls aren't taking like those massive divots that you have like C. Brooks and Tiger taking those big old pancakes. But I think if they did it at an – I don't know, though, because there's no hype around the course around in a different time of year. So like they, I feel like this tournament really feeds on the excitement of the Masters. And, and especially they had big galleries and everything. A lot of people out there watching them so definitely you know worth having out there and and even a bigger deal that they are having it right up against the masters i mean you'd think if they were going to dive into this realm it'd be more hey in the off season the women can have an event here but no they they back it right up to the masters and kind of build on that hype yeah i think what i want to look into is how to get tickets to this i don't know if it's just family members or how you get tickets to this because the crowds weren't very deep and i can honestly see how it's like they're maybe not as sought after as master's tickets, but being able to go to an event like this, I saw there was a Golf Digest article that was published, I think yesterday, talking about how do you get tickets to Augusta, and, and one of their avenues was becoming a volunteer. It's hard to become a volunteer, but if you can, you get like lifetime tickets as long as you are in good standing. But I would love to go to an event like this. I would love to see Augusta, but I'd also really like to see the best amateur players in the world too. Yeah, another interesting thing, they had the drive chip and putt out there, which is, you know, the fourth event that should be backed up to these, you know, the the juniors out there playing. It's crazy to think, I think the older division is what, 15, 16-year-olds? Yeah. So Anna <laughs> Davis wins the women's amateur. She could have come out and competed in that the next day in this junior golfer's event. I love the drive chip and putt. I was I, watching it. I think it's so, I mean, watching these kids reactions to when they win or something like that. Like some girl was, was quoted as like, you know, they're like, how do you feel after your win? And she kind of like quiet for a few seconds. She goes, I feel amazing. And I was just like, there's such a classic, awesome response from a kid. I mean, arguably that was put some of the better golf we saw this weekend too. Is like there was, I think it was the older girls group or whatever. Some girl makes back both the putts to put herself in first and the person that was leading comes back and does the exact same thing. It was just far more exciting than even watching like the Valero was. Yeah. So if you don't watch the drive chip and putt, so they, uh, when they get to the putting discipline, they have like, I think like a 15 or a 20 footer first and it's all in the 18th green. That's on the back tier. And then on the front tier of the green, they have like a 40 footer. And so like, I think last year, nobody amongst all age divisions and, and male or female made both putts. And then in this adult, like the oldest girls group, some girl goes about makes both putts. Then the girl after her makes both putts on top of her. So they had to go to like a putt off for the putting. It was pretty impressive. It's great to see when those kids go like full circle. They compete in the drive chip and putt contest. Uh, they're showing an example of one of the um, women. Yeah, I think it was Latana Stone the, might have been. who had the lead but going into the girl. last couple holes. Yeah. She won it when she was 14. So they started the drive chip and putt. And then you see him playing in like the Augusta National Women's Amateur and probably on tour someday. So it's, it's great to see those like them get their start there, the drive chip and putt and then kind of move forward. It's just like there. seeing Andy Reid at like the what is the run <laughs> kick and pass thing. <laughs> that's the yeah, that's an all time <laughs> video. <laughs> well, too, and we talked about how young the girls game is, too. You see, I mean, Anna Davis, 16, winning this amateur event. Talked about Lydia Ko being number one in the world when she was 17. Like, you really are seeing girls really hit their peaks in their early to mid-teen years, so they're just really on the cusp of getting on the LPGA Tour. Well, yeah, I mean, we saw it with the Chevron winner. The Jennifer Cupcho picks up the women's first major of the year, and she won the the 
Augusta National Women's Amateur, what, two, three years ago? Yeah, three years ago. And so, yeah, really realizing the potential, finally getting her first win, and especially with it being a major, pretty cool to see that progression just a couple years prior competing in an amateur tournament and then winning on the LPGA. Yep, a really great week in women's golf, amateur and pro. Uh, The Texas Valero Open on the men's side this week. Um, I think that we all kind of thought that this course just didn't provide too much excitement. A decent finish, you know, the drivable 17th, the 16th with the the bunker in the middle of the green, and then 18 was a pretty cool par 5. But it just felt a little lackluster. Not a lot going on. Colin has some notable players here, too. Uh, Some pretty boring performances and uh, some surprises as well. Yeah, so a week before the Masters, I think we kind of all had our eyes on some of these top players that were competing in the Valero to see how what kind of shape their game was in heading into the Masters. Uh, we saw Rory out there. He was in the field this week, unfortunately, at plus one, had a missed cut. Uh, the putter seemed to let him down a lot this week. Uh, he was striking the ball well and hitting some moon shots off the tee, but he just couldn't convert, and I think his, his short wedges are kind of his short wedges and putter are kind of letting him down at this point, so that's a little concerning as he heads into uh, Augusta where he, he, he's seeking that green jacket as his final major. I mean, you think Bryson and Rory, they just get on a plane like – Friday night to get to Augusta. I think Rory was even quoted in some of his interviews saying like, yeah, it was great. I was able to get out to Augusta. (laughs) Not that I ever want to miss a cut. I called that. I was going to pick Rory this week and I was like, I think he just wants to get to Augusta quicker. He he was pretty happy about it. I think we asked the question last week, what are these guys doing playing in this event instead of just going to Augusta and starting their master's prep? You look at Rory, Bryson, it almost seemed to come to fruition that they were just out there to get some competitive practice in almost in a tournament and then just kind of pack their bags probably hope they miss the cut and just kind of get out of there and on to on to Augusta. Yeah, that definitely seemed to be the case for Bryson. I mean, listening to his press conference this week before the Masters, he basically said that his doctor told him that he shouldn't be playing golf for a very <laughs> long time. And he's like, well, I'm playing the Masters. So uh, this was probably his like final tune-up or just a chance for him to get out there and play competitive golf again before the Masters. Yeah, really, I think the only exception is probably Jordan Spieth. He was defending there, and you know, obviously he's a Texas boy. I think everyone else is just like trying to maybe get their head right before the Masters. Yeah, yeah. I think Rory missing the Dell was surprising to us, so I don't think Rory would probably be doing a disservice to himself to miss two straight weeks before, so it was kind of like a weird scheduling conflict. Uh, and then I guess Bryson, too, coming back from injury, but you wouldn't expect to see these guys most of the time at the Valero. Yeah, and um, you brought up Spieth Tully. He actually played pretty well this week. He was tied for 35th, 5-under. He probably should have been 7-under. I don't know if you guys saw that tragic 3-putt he had from like 18 inches on Friday. Yeah, it was the pretty same bad. thing this weekend, actually. <laughs> but uh, that was cracking up. The announcers were like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, oh. they're like, oh, we hate to see that. Well, yeah. it's interesting, yeah, with Spieth. I mean, he's he's got that goofy-looking practice routine and swing. And it really doesn't look pretty, but he led the field in strokes gained tee to green. So his game is definitely in a good place rolling into Augusta where he's had some success. Yeah, it's, it's one of those rare instances, too, where his what he's rehearsing, he really is doing with his swing. He's trying to do this little thing where his club gets outside, but then he tries to get it laid off at the top. And that little slow practice swing really translates to his full swing. And whether you like it or not, I think the changes he's making are really improving his game. Like he looks to be hitting the ball very well right now. I was listening to his interviews today, and he sound he sounds confident going into this week. So we'll see. Well, how can he not be? He tears Augusta up every single time he's there. It seems like it makes me. He's uh, you know I don't think I don't know uh, if anyone picked him in our picks, but it's something to think about too. If it starts to get windy this week, you're looking for these guys like Scheffler and Spieth, who kind of grew up in the Texas wind. Ooh, Tex- <laughs> what is that? What is that again? It's flat. And that's why. But uh, those guys are they're a couple I'm looking at this week because if conditions get tough. Uh, these guys who just aren't used to adverse events, like you even see some of these European tour players might end up doing pretty well this week. 
And finally, to close it out, I just did want to highlight uh, Tony Bigfoot Finau. Uh, he did finish at six under, tied for 29th this week, but it does finally seem like he's coming into form after a, a tough start to his year. Uh, he finally picked up that first win last year uh, in the, was it the New York event? Yeah, where he can't, Cam Smith put it in the water in the playoff. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it's good to see that he's kind of maybe back on track here heading into Augusta where he has historically played well the past couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I, heard, I heard Nike send him some ankle braces, so we should be able to get yeah, through he's the, got the around those things. This will, be, yeah, this will probably be his first part three since that happened, right? Because 2020 was canceled. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay, I think that wraps it up for our recap of this past week. Congrats again to JJ Spawn, Jennifer Cupjo, and the 16-year-old sophomore Anna Davis on titles this past weekend. We'll be back in a second for stuff all about the Masters. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another, the 86th edition of the Masters. We got defending champion Hideki Matsuyama looking to repeat, and we got a stacked field this week. Uh, disclaimer, before we start, we wanted to apologize to all of our employers for our lack of production this week because we're going to be a little preoccupied. So <laughs> we're going to kick it around to the guys. What are we looking for this week? What's the most exciting stuff? Yeah, so I'm looking at the changes that Augusta National has made on the course. So a couple big ones that they've... They're very cryptic about everything they do, so you just kind of got to wait until pictures start leaking. But first and foremost, the 11th hole, which is traditionally their toughest hole there. They took out a lot of trees down the right side. Now there's just three trees kind of standing on their own, which was before kind of a big driving hazard. Uh, they extended the fairway, obviously, far to the right and lengthened the hole a good 25 yards. So I think the desire here was to enable players to drive it Further right to set up a, a better approach into the green. Historically, they've kind of bailed out to the left and had a, a tough second shot. But they're trying to. I think they're trying to set up more risk reward here. Have more opportunities for birdies by having better angles in, but also bring the water much more into play. They also built up a lot of the mounds to the right of the green, which is going to make that typical bailout to the right much more treacherous. Chipping back into the into the green with the water right behind you. Yeah, we're going to see, I guess we're going to see a lot of longer players probably try to high fade or high draw for lefties over the trees to have a better approach into the, into the green. But when you get caught up in those trees to the right and you have to hit a punch shot into the green, that's just an absolutely terrifying punch shot because anything that starts its first bounce is like anywhere around the green or left. It's just going straight into that water. So it's another testament of why your short game prevails at, at Augusta because you're probably going to leave it in those mounds short of the green with a very uneven lie to a lightning quick green. Yeah, it was really interesting listening to a bunch of the interviews today while I was working and <laughs> <laughs> and they you could see like the players weren't entirely confident on what they wanted to do with it and obviously today they ended, with all the rain down there they ended up not being able to go out there and play it again like they were like yeah like, really it kind of looks like it kind of takes away some of the risk and all that kind of stuff but i also kind of feel like i need to go and hit it where i always hit it like they're just so torn yeah with all that makes experience. it sound a lot easier like you're saying yeah. but it's like do you think these players are going to get in their head where they're just like well I, I should probably do this but i mean i could just grab driver and go for it. it's like they're just going to talk themselves out of shots yeah i think you i think it's not going to have as big of an effect but then i think there may be you may see you know say bryson's in contention sort of situation where he's just gonna bomb it over and that could be a big game changer for him yeah i think that little added distance they gave to this hole is gonna be a, a 
relatively big factor too. We heard Rom talking about it today that this is one of the holes where he's going to try to hit a draw on just because the fairway kind of slopes down into the left and he can get a little more roll if he hits a draw to get it down close to the green a little more. I think that the idea of that, right, is to they're trying to make the players be more aggressive. And when you make them be more aggressive, you tend to get more fireworks, good and bad. But that's essentially, I think that's what they're trying to do there. Because that tee shot was used to be brutal. It used to just be like you had no miss, no bailout, left of 11, which, as we know, is the start of Amen Corner is is one of the only places on the course you can actually like hit it out of bounds, too. So when guys go left there, it's just a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, they're they're getting back to their roots. Kind of what made this course so special is, like you just said, they're trying to... They're trying to force guys to be more aggressive and really kind of widen that risk-reward uh, trajectory there. And so you see it with so many holes on the back nine. You can have eagles, birdies, but you also can easily have doubles and triples, which makes the weekend so exciting. I mean, we see it all the time on Sundays, guys hitting it in the water and, and really kind of falling apart because there's so much risk out there if you try and hit those those small margin shots. So what about the 15th hole here, W2? We got something. We got to change here to the 15th hole. Yeah, 15th, the last par five at Augusta, really your last true eagle birdie opportunity. They've lengthened it 20 yards and kind of contoured the fairway to push balls to the left where you're kind of going to be hitting behind a big patch of trees, making that second shot into the green. If you choose to go over that big pond, it's going to make it a lot tougher. Normally, these guys are playing mid-irons in there. They're going to have longer irons in their hands. And really, it's going to force them to make a a much tougher decision of, do I lay up or do I go for this in two with a long iron? I guess, too, to all our listeners, so uh, for a righty, if they're playing this hole, uh, if their ball's kicking down to the left in the fairway and they have something like, I don't know, 200 to 220 yards, uh, now having to hit a draw around those trees, they're getting even less spin on their ball, so a little harder to judge the distance. And then once it hits these greens, which... We'll see. I know there's some impending weather this week, and the sub-air system should be running pretty hard. I would expect these greens to be very firm. So hitting a high draw with a long iron from 220 yards over a force carry, knowing that if you hit it too far, it's just going to roll over the green and potentially into the water in the back. It's going to bring in a big It's a big risk-reward like we talked about. And I think you're going to see a lot of guys be laying up to this hole. Keep an eye on the days that where they have the pin in like the back middle to back left of the green because if, if guys are trying to hit a long, long iron or uh, – three or five wood into that hole, especially with a draw, there's really a risk of going over, bouncing over the green into that water on the When it rolls, side. so it's essentially if it's carrying any speed over top of that hill, there's no rough to stop it. It's all fairway down to that to that next water source. But even if you choose to lay up on that hole, that's one of the that's got to be one of the hardest third shots in the game. I mean, straight downhill lie. Uh, once again, you have to get it over that water and keep it short on that slick green. Yeah, I mean, and the green runs back to front, so every wedge, you know, if you're 100 yards out and that's how far your sand wedge goes, these guys are going to be hitting knockdown gap wedges and pitching wedges for like a big hop and stop because any kind of momentum that ball has working back toward the water in the front, it's it's gone. Yeah, and that's one of the things they talk about nonstop on the broadcast and us as viewers really don't have an appreciation for is that course is so severely sloped that I think everyone notoriously quotes, There's the only flat lies on that golf course are the tee boxes. And everywhere else, you could have a ball like a couple feet above your above where you're kind of standing or below and so you're always hitting off uneven lies which makes it you know of course really tough to shape the shots you want i think that's why this event usually caters to the best iron players in the world too like you know we often when we're out when we're playing our regular rounds as amateurs like when we hit the fairway we're 98% of the time on a really flat lie but out here you know, you have to pick sides of the fairway and then some fairways, there's just no flat lie. And when we're talking about flat, not flat, we're talking about a ball being 
six inches to a foot above where it would normally be on a side hill. So it's just, you can't see it on TV, but it's incredible how good these guys are when the lies are iffy. What's wild is that you can't quote unquote see it on TV, but you can see it so much more than you can at all the other courses. Oh, right. Comparatively, which tells you how severe this actually is. And these other courses aren't, they're not a joke either. So you can't imagine how bad they are at Augusta. Yeah. Yeah, and you see some of the the camera angles looking at greens, and it's like you know almost looks like one story above you know the different tiers. It's it's just insane how much slope there is. Yeah, I think chipping and putting around greens, like you say, like the slope and height, like these greens, like the reason they can keep them dry and firm is because they're mostly all elevated. And when it just seems like the cameras can never quite do them justice, but then every once in a while you have a guy on the ground following a group, and he'll get behind a chip around the green, and you're like, wow, that's literally like seven feet up to that green, and like. We're just thinking about how we would be sculling that thing all over the place. I'd be flopping it right up on there. You know it. Oh, and into the grain too, right? Because that's the big thing we're probably looking at this week with Tiger. I know when he was on his comeback last time, his chipping around and in the grain, into the grain around the greens, he was just duffing them all over the place. I think that's really what makes Augusta different is when they mow it, they mow from the green out. So it's all into the grain. I mean, you brought up Tiger there. So do we really want to beat around that bush anymore? We just yeah. going to dive right in here. I think most of our listeners probably know, but Tiger Woods is officially, as of now, 7.30 p.m. Tuesday, April the 5th, is that he's in, he's playing, he feels healthy, he thinks he can win. What do you guys think? Oh, that as of now statement was so painful, but so exciting. It was like, oh, you're just not going not gonna to commit fully. I think it's just barring any setback, which yeah. is so scary, right? It's like we're getting, we're just so committed to Tiger being here. And I really think he can play well. And there's nothing holding him back except for one weird step on the first fairway walking up the hill. Yeah, if that guy comes out of nowhere and like catches his foot on one of those like slip rainy days kind of thing the first week and just all of a sudden he's down. And That's so true. Okay, this is me knocking on wood. You guys <laughs> Knock on wood, baby. Yeah. No, but I mean, it's it's really exciting. Obviously, we heard a lot of talk throughout the week and leading up here. They, oh, he looks great. He's you know he's playing medalist. J, he played with JT and Charlie on Sunday. People are saying you know his swing looks good. Freddie Couple says, oh, I think he can contend. And then you know that's all speculation. And Tiger himself comes out and just flat out says, I can hit every shot. Like the golf swing is not the issue, and it's the walking and you know it's all the you know the the nuts, the bolts, the screws, all that crap that's in his leg that. You know, it just causes, you know, walking up those giant slopes we were talking about, you know, an issue. But the fact that he can just make all those swings with the countless medical issues at is just so impressive. And I, I'm so excited for this week. I think when it comes to Tiger and him potentially contending this week, I really think that there are guys in this field that when they're coming down the stretch, they're going to be able to hit each and every shot really well. I think Tiger's really got to look at this thing like it's a marathon and he's got to be going out trying to birdie the par fives, play even on the rest. You know, and maybe he'll get, you know, he's got to be looking at like 16 under for the week, right? Like burning all the par fives and playing even the rest. Because if, if it comes Sunday and he's five shots back going into the back nine, barring a meltdown, which we have seen because Tiger's influence playing from behind is is massive, he's probably just not going to be able to make that push. He just doesn't quite have the shots in the bag right now. Yeah, I think it's funny you say that, Ben. In his press conference today, I think he was asked what uh, success looks like for him this week. And first of all, he said it's a success that he's here. But instead of, I feel like, in typical Tiger fashion, I expect him to say, well, success is a winning, win, right. winning. But he answered the question very wisely. He said, success is me coming down the stretch on Sunday and having and being in it and having a chance to win. Because I think that's all he needs because he knows where to hit the shots and he knows how to execute, especially when all the pressure's on. Yeah, I love that you brought up the point like how you know he's going to have to play you know arguably like a more conservative game. But if you listen to like all the interviews and you watch you know how he won like in 2019 – it was by playing that arguably more conservative game. It's that it's hitting the shots in the safe spot because 
you know if you slightly off on any of these greens or even in these fairways, it's just going to roll into shit, and it's going to be like a ridiculous up and down, and it's just so hard to do anything else. So the fact that it almost like takes that out of his bag and potentially that it, it could arguably make him play even better than like if he's trying to, you know, carry what it was 11. I think we were talking about earlier where they extended everything. He's now just going to, he's just going to play smart rather than, you know, taking some of those risks. He certainly would have done 25 years ago in 1997 when he won his first. He's got to lean on his putter pretty heavy this week because I think you're right. He's, he's got to know he's going to be laying back a little bit to play safe and he's going to have a lot of, I mean, nobody knows these greens better than Jack and Tiger, but he's going to have a lot of 50, 60-foot lag putts that he has to get down into to have any chance. Notable, Tiger is the same age that Jack is when he won his last Masters. You know, I saw a comparison, and I'll let you go here, Dove. We've been cutting you off, but I saw a comparison. So Jack's played in twice as many majors as Tiger, and Tiger's 45, so it's really like speaks to, like Tiger's win percentage in majors is almost double that of Jack's because Jack only has three more majors, and he's played in double of them. Uh, It speaks to the longevity of Jack, but then also like, Maybe maybe Tiger's career is just like if he can stay healthy, it's a lot longer than you think it's going to be. I just whenever I think about Tiger for the past five or eight years, it feels like he's just got like a year or two left in the in the tank. But maybe he's just going to keep playing. Maybe he's just going to be as good as he ever was. Yeah, he keeps coming back no matter what happens to him. I mean, we're what fourteen months removed from him nearly losing his whole leg and being in a, a near tragic accident, and here he is walking probably the toughest golf course in the world to walk. The videos made him look like he was walking a little gingerly around, but he commented on that in his interview saying that's just how he walks now. That's his gait. That's his stride. That's how he's going to have to work his way around the course. But standing over a golf ball, he doesn't feel any pain. He's swinging freely, and he's really going to be able to lean on. I mean, he's probably got such a a stroke or two average around lead over the rest of the field just because of his course knowledge. He doesn't have to be dialed in like most of these other guys. He knows where he can miss around the greens. He doesn't have to have his A-plus game every single day. He can show up and hit the ball in the right spots and still be able to scrape together a couple under. Yeah, Ben, one of the interesting things I thought you said was if Tiger can birdie the par fives, gets him the 16 under, it's like, what do we think is going to win it this year? So we just have like kind of like, I think we have two two roads we can go down here is like, it's going to rain, so we know it's going to be wet, but how much are they going to dry the course out? Because if they run that sub-air system to try and get the course dry, and then it gets cold and windy this weekend, cold meaning in the low 50s, but and dries out the course even more, we could see a single-digit Masters in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, though. I think this might be, granted, I'm paying a lot closer attention to golf these days. This could be the strongest field I've ever seen at, at a Masters. I mean, there's realistically 10 guys that come in as favorites that aren't you know much above the other and so it's really interesting i mean granted with all the coverage you wouldn't think anybody else was there other than tiger but you know that's still such a very strong field with a lot of guys playing extremely hot right now i think that's that's so bringing up that point is like when tiger won in 2019 the field was still pretty strong. I would say it's a little stronger now because you have all these young kids like Scheffler and Morikawa and even like Burns and Rom really hitting their stride now. Uh, but I really love the idea of this being like the renaissance of Tiger's career and him knowing he can't hit it as far and hit the recovery shots like he used to. So he's got to play a little bit more of like a, uh, you know, a sophisticated game. Meanwhile, we're seeing the whole tour chase distance and try to get out of trouble like Tiger started. So it's like it's this ebb and flow of Tiger's game. So like in five years, do we see distance go away because everyone realized Tiger could be super successful without distance because he started the distance and I doesn't have it anymore. I love that. I love that you talk about it as a hypothetical renaissance of his career because, you know, obviously that would be amazing if all of a sudden he's just 
even somewhat like he was in his prime when he was just winning all the time. And even in 19, before the big injury, I mean, when he, yeah. he was starting to really hit his stride and he was 40 yards behind the longest hitters. Yeah. My question to the group is, you know me, ignorantly optimistic. Say Tiger wins this week. How does that compare for you to his other major wins and you know, those other master memories? I think Colin's going to want to get into here in a little bit. I think you have to put this, if he were to go on and win, even contend, I think you got to put this above anything else he's done in his career. Like you just mentioned, he's so far behind these guys from a physical standpoint these days. And to be able to rely on that knowledge and, and that experience and, and not still have the same stuff coming off of a tragic injury like he did where he can barely walk right now, that would be more impressive, I think, than anything he's done prior. Yeah, I agree, Dub. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, despite the fact that he's older and competing against with a bunch of these young guys and kind of reinventing his game a little bit, 14 months ago, he had his accident. He was in a hospital bed. I mean, no one expected him to be back for, like, at least I didn't, for, like, years. And now here he is playing in the Masters just over a year later. It's wild. So if he were to go on and win this week, it's got to be up there at the top. It's getting so hard to do that, though, to, to, to rank these events for Tiger because he just continues to amaze us. I mean, it just speaks to... How I think so. I'll talk about like later on, but I think that like my favorite this week is going to be Rom. And I think about I made a claim where I think Rom might be one of the only guys uh, that I think can really start to get to that double digit major thing since the, the uh, golf's so talented anymore. But you got to find a place like Augusta and you got to play well there. And Tiger, like you know, he plays really good all year round when he was in his prime, but like Tiger's got his events, he has like six events that he's won eight times. And that's what he does. And in, in, in between weeks, sometimes, you know, he can have a good week and guys can crumble at the top and he can get a win. But it's all about finding those tournaments where the course really fits your game. And this is it for him. So speaking of old guys this week, Tyler, how about our boy Bernard? Bernard Langer, he never ceases to amaze me. Um, he's 64 years old and he's playing in the Masters again. Um, a lot of people that may be new to golf probably haven't heard his name because for the last 14 years he's been participating on the champions tour uh but just a little bit about him he was he was born in germany he's a two-time major winner and it was actually two masters back in 1985 and 1993 good year i was born then you guys are older i was born in 92 dub dub 1985 hey me and dub me and dub (laughs) (laughs) yeah what's what's also crazy about bernard's career so he's played on all sorts of different tours he has to his credit 119 professional wins um that's including three on the pga tour 42 on the European, so he'll probably be chased down by Louis soon. Um, but then what, what's crazy to me, he's got 43 wins on the PGA Champions Tour. Um, so you think he's only probably been on there for a little over a decade, and he's got 43 wins going against some of the greatest golfers that the game had seen. Yeah, they're getting older, but he, they're all going up against each other, and it's just a crazy fact that he's won 43 times on that tour, uh, which is actually too shy of the all-time mark. I think the champion store lives in Bernard's shadow. Like, I don't know if this podcast will ever quite get to the point where we're covering the champion store too deeply, but every week you're pretty much looking for like Bernard Langer or uh, Miguel Jimenez. There's only really, a, or maybe Ernie Els. There's only a few guys, but Bernard's dominance on the year on the champion store is outrageous. Yeah. So you hear him dominating on the tour, and then it's like two years ago at the Masters, he finished tied for 29th. He was 62 years old, and he was three under. Like that's absolutely incredible. He opened with a 68. Uh, so just thinking he's coming out there four under at 62 is just unbelievable to me. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, so many of these older past champions just go out there to kind of get a spend some time with the crowds and kind of enjoy two days. Shoot 80-80. Yeah, just yeah. like old times. 
he's 64 and he's out there making cuts like you said i mean yeah he was cut last year but he's playing really well right now wouldn't be surprised to see him make another one i mean we kind of touched on it you know about how much experience and knowing the course this guy has 130 rounds played at the Masters, so like he's gonna know exactly where to hit it similar to how tiger like and obviously not with the same success but he knows how to get around that course yeah one of the funny things that i like to think about with him too is like you think about all the guys that are prominent in the game today and we're talking a couple segments a few weeks ago we were talking about best golfers under 25 he played in his first Masters 40 years ago before these guys were even thought about being born. It's like it's just unbelievable. And that he missed the cut that year when he was young. But what, what's crazy to me is he missed the cut. He was 11 strokes back. He three putted 11 times. So he was young. He couldn't quite figure out the greens. Like if he could putt at all back then, he's making the cut. And then he's just yeah doing it 40 years later again. I mean, I think when we when we talk about here's here's my. I'm not going to go out on a limb and think say that I they think this is true, but it's possible that Tiger has 15 majors, Jack has 18. That for Tiger to catch Jack, he just can only the only way he can do it is if he wins three more Masters. I'm really not sure if Tiger is going to be continuing contending in things like the U.S. Open when the conditions get really tough. Maybe in the Open because that's a little bit of experience, but I think the route for Tiger, kind of like Bernard, is just to continue your excellence at a course that you just dominate. Yeah, my, just one little fun thing. I just wanted to talk about Bernard one last time. Um, when, well, we just talk about distance all the time now. Um, so when you look at him, it's like, how is he going to stack up this year against the bombers that we see? Um, him being 64 years old on the Champions Tour this year, his drive's averaging 268 yards. And he's in such good shape, yeah. too. But then you compare that to Bryson, who's at 318 yards, and then the Tour average this year is at 297. So he's losing... 30 yards to 30 the on the average. field, 50 yeah. to Bryson. That's crazy. My I question is how many fairways is he hitting? Is he just that every old man golf where he's just yeah, dead I, accurate down the middle? I think you're just one. highlighting here, him here because he plays so similar to you. You know, <laughs> dead straight. Shorter off the tee, but hey, dead straight I'm, every time. I'm pretty not sure any Ben fairways. also said he's in great physical shape, so then that <laughs> yeah. just crosses me off. I think he also has a few more hybrids than you. I'm pretty sure Bernard has like his six iron and upper hybrids. <laughs> Yeah, but, I mean, I think if we see him make the cut, I think that's going to be a remarkable achievement, and I don't think it's a stretch to say he's going to do it this what year. What are his odds? Do you have any idea? Probably plus 100,000, I'd say. I think I saw those. Uh, to like, make the cut. I think his I'd top say even thir- money. Top three to finish top 30 was like plus 440. Oh, okay. I, I may have that in a parlay somewhere. Don't worry about it. Do you know one thing? And When I was in college, me and, my, me and my golf buddies would do a pool for the Masters, and it would be like kind of like the tiered approach. And in the last tier, we'd have all of the guys that are playing that are past champions that just don't have a freaking chance. And he'd like almost draw out of a hat to see who you get. And whoever got Bernard was like, oh, automatic points. Whoever gets like Sandy Lyle knows he's going to shoot 82-82. <laughs> Who's the guy that wears the suspenders? Oh, is, I that don't Ly- know I... is that Lyle? Yeah, Lyle? Sandy Lyle is. Yeah. yeah, he's a little short dude too. He's like five five, I think. Yeah, he's fun to watch out there. He just goes has a good time. So then, what about Tom Watson here? Right, that's another big story. Yeah, what's what's awesome? I think about the Masters is you see at the start of the tournament they bring out their honorary starters. Uh, so that's going to be three guys that are all Hall of Famers. They're coming out there just to hit an opening tee shot. Uh, last year we saw some repeat guys. We see Jack Nicklaus out there, who's a six time Masters winner. Um, in 63, 65, and actually repeated in 66, one in 72, 75, and 86. And then you also see Gary Player, who was a three-time winner in 61, 74, and 78. Last year, we saw Lee Elder participate for the first time. Unfortunately, he passed away last November. So this is, will be Tom Watson's first year. He's a two-time major or two-time Masters winner in 77 and 81. He actually played in 42 straight Masters. Um, 
maybe that's getting passed by Bernard here in a couple of years, but I just think it's awesome. Just the tradition of that, seeing these historic golfers come out, everyone's got their eyes on them. They go out and I swear every time I've watched, they hit a great shot. It's like these guys just get up there, probably been stretching for 30 minutes, getting ready for their one shot. And they just smoke it right out there. I, I just think it's amazing. I mean, Jackson is like late seventies and he can still hit it like 200 yards off the tee. It's pretty he impressive. Hits, hits the same distance as Tyler, but, and in the fairway, I think yeah. the, the one thing that like, it doesn't upset me, but I wish that, you know, I love Tom Watson. He's such a big part of the game. He's a global player. You know, I, but I, but I think that having Lee Elder there last year was just such an iconic moment for being the first black player to ever play in the masters. And then to be an honorary starter was just amazing. I wish that Lee Elder was replaced with someone of more of a minority background. You know, I, it really, it hit me hard because watching Tiger's uh, golf hall of fame introduction, or induction. There was a lot of people in the game that they were inducting into the Hall of Fame too from minority backgrounds, and I think they could have done a little better than this. But I do love Tom Watson. I mean, I, this is one of the many like just awesome traditions at um, at Augusta, and I think what is so cool about this one is all of the players realize it. Like you always see a lot of those people that have afternoon tea time stuff. They're out there watching it, just so excited to watch these iconic historic people. And like I feel like you know you're gonna see probably 10 to 15 of the you know top players just out there watching this happen even though they have to go compete to win a major and it's you know one of the four biggest tournaments if not the biggest tournament of the year and this is that important to them yeah this isn't something you just want to watch the highlight later it's like you want to be a part of that you want to see them just hugging all their friends and families they're approaching the team it's just the whole thing is just an awesome sight well and and previous to lee elder taking over as as far back as i could remember it was always the the royal triumvirate of historical golfers with jack nicholas gary player and the late arnold palmer so it was it was a true showcase for augusta and the masters to have all those guys there they know each other so well they'd always go joke back and forth while they're hitting their tee shots and and like these guys mentioned, you know, all the pros are out there playing or watching them do it. And so for them to take that time and it was really cool to see. And, and like Ben said, it was it was cool to see Lee Elder and, and someone with such a good story kind of take that mantle last year. And so it'll be interesting to see what they have to say about Tom Watson and, and how he's kind of made a big impact on the Masters this year. I think Tom Watson, when he won at Turnberry, I think he or no, he went into a playoff with Stuart Sink and Turnberry and almost became what was the what the oldest player to ever win a major. So that you know, I really enjoy that Tom Watson's here and you're right. Like these players come out because when it when you talk about the Masters and you talk about the history, like this is the most iconic event that happens all week is being able to see these guys that have spread the game of golf around the globe are such, you know, represent the game, have charities. It's everything that Augusta and it, golf is about. It's almost like a tradition unlike any other. <laughs> well, Hello, friends. Speaking of traditions, I'm really excited for the return of another great tradition at the Masters, which is the Par 3 contest. You know, we haven't had it for the last couple of years with all the COVID stuff. You know, it's been rained out, and I'm hoping it doesn't happen this this year because I know there is definitely still some rain in the uh, forecast. But this is one of the, in my opinion, one of the coolest parts of the Masters Week because it's so different than everything else. It's it's really just like a jovial, happy sort of situation where you get to see everyone kind of unwind before they just are laser focused and you know, just there is nothing else but winning that green jacket. Uh, just kind of a little background here. The original concept came from actually one of the co-founders, Clifford Roberts, uh, and it was actually first played in 1960, and he dealt with a lot of uh, pushback on it because of how informal and different it was from basically everything else, with the uh, first champion being Sam Sneed, 
Uh, that's a pretty good tidbit. That's a really big person to have won the first par three. That's great. Which is kind of cool. Is he's the first one to win the par three, but he was also the first person to ever receive the green jacket, which happened in 1949. Because right. that wasn't originally part of it either. So he's just, you know, he just breaks records, starts things there. Notably, no one has actually ever won the par three contest and the Masters in the same year. So here's hoping we don't see Tiger there. And there's still only been two people to ever win it and then secure a green jacket afterwards. So it's definitely something that seems to happen later on. A lot of that may attribute to the fact of how relaxed it is. You see a lot of the younger guys, they go out there with their families, their kids are hitting putts, their their wives are all carrying the bag. They're all everyone that isn't the golfers is in the full garb of the caddies. And it's just, you know, one of the most adorable fucking things in the world. Yeah, I I can remember watching this par three and like you mentioned, the superstition of no one's ever won the par three and gone on to win the masters and seeing some very relevant names who expect to compete play in this par three, play well, get to the ninth hole, like seven putts, so they're not anywhere near the lead, <laughs> just to not mess with any mojo for them to come out and win over the weekend. It's funny because I was wondering, like, although no one that's ever won the par three has won the Masters, the guys that win the par three aren't usually like the top odds guys either, and I think maybe it's due to that, but also it's just like, it's just so random. It's yeah. so funny watching watching the par three contest because you see guys like JT, uh, Spieth, and Ricky, who unfortunately won't be there this year, but they're going out and just having like a, like a, I don't know, Wednesday afternoon round together, just like playing a game. And then you see guys who are like seven under through eight holes. And it's like, <laughs> what the heck are you doing? Don't you know the history? You don't want to win this thing. It's definitely the guys that know that like they don't have a chance kind of thing. And they're just hoping for it. But I mean, it's just to me that the par three kind of represents like kind of the best of golf in terms of what it is for, like, the rest of us. Like, obviously, none of us are going to be out there playing Augusta trying to compete for a green jacket, but it shows, like, how it can just be fun. Like, you can have a group of six players. You can have, you know, just people out there. and it Or it's, like, the most relatable scoring hole as well. Yeah. Right? Like, 150-yard par three, you see it on TV, you know you can play 150-yard par three, but you cannot play the 520-yard 11th hole at the start of the Amen corner. And I would say, too, you know, we just recently last year went down and played the Cradle at, at Pinehurst Resort, which is just a little par three course. It's like 50 bucks and you can kind of play it all day round and around. And I would say that I have like a new appreciation for how much fun watching and playing par three courses are. There's just not enough around and they're just so good for family fun. And you work on your game a little bit, but then you also like leave a little bit more confident about your game because it's hard to get like anything more than like a, maybe a five or a six. And so when you add it up at the end, it's like, Oh, I shot 35. That's six over par, but it feels like it's under par in a regular course. Yeah. yeah. When I can leave my driver in the bag and just go out and hit some par threes, it's, it's always a much more relaxing day for me. Low key. That was like one of my best experiences on a golf course was, you know, playing the cradle is you're walking with six guys. There's music blast and you're carrying beers. It's just oh, such barefoot. A, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A couple clubs. It's just the most relaxed and just fun environment. We need more of those. All right, we'll be back in a second to talk more Masters. All right, and we're back, and we got a really good question here from Tully. Is the best major to win the Masters, and do any other majors really compare? Yeah, you know, it's just kind of, obviously, right now there's so much hype around it, but I think it's just, it's really, to me, stands apart from the others. You know, it's the only major that's played in the same course year after year. Winning is a lifetime invite to the tournament and an honorary membership at arguably, if not 
without question the most exclusive course in the world. And you also get that invite to the championship dinner, which is just one of the coolest, you know, traditions that we, you know, have. Oh, really we got to talk about, about this dinner more. Yeah. And it's, it's just such like a, you know, you get to be the, the whole who's who of golf basically there. And I think it just, there's so much that comes with it. For me, I think it is a hundred percent. If I had to pick one that I could win, it, it would definitely be here, but I'm just curious what the group thinks. So what's, what's Hideki's menu this year? Wag, Wagyu beef and miso soup. What else, Colin? We got, uh, I believe, sushi and uh, sashimi for an appetizer. We got miso cod uh, with some dashi broth. Got some chicken skewers in there, yeah, too, it looks like. You're pretty chicken fluent skewers. in this shit. Wagyu beef, that's A5 Miyazaki Wagyu beef, which Jordan Spieth said, as a Texan, that's the best best beef he's ever had. That stuff's like like three or $400 a cut, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, I looked it up today, it's $100 a pound, over $100 a pound. <laughs> wow. The Japanese strawberry shortcake sounds delightful. Fluffy sponge cake with a whipped so cream. So does he not pair a drink with this? Shouldn't he have like red wine or sake. something? Yeah, sake to go with the uh, menu. Can you imagine you know, all these past champions? You got Jack, Nicholas, Gary Player, all these people doing sake bombs in there. Do they drink at this thing? Oh, I wonder. they, 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 oh, they, yeah, do, they, they throw after them it. back, yeah. That's because where all the stories come what, from. What yeah. night is this? Is tonight. That's tonight? Yeah, it's tonight. Well, something I just learned for the first time this year is they also do an amateurs dinner on the Monday night. So yeah. what was that? Last night, all the amateurs get together with some of the, the famous staff there and everything and, and have a night to their own. And there's also like an amateurs only area of the clubhouse where they the get to go nest. hang out on their own. Yeah. yeah I think they, some of them sleep there. Yeah, there's like, there's the, like the a dozen bedrooms. Yeah. Is, yeah. There's like six or so, so bedrooms. I think there. that's probably one of the coolest traditions. Like yeah. imagine being an 18, 20 year old amateur good good golfer but never really played in too many big events in the world and you get to go to augusta and you get to stay like on premises that's so cool yeah. probably because they're not old enough to drive so how they're supposed <laughs> yeah, to get yeah to that's the what it is it's it, the whole concept is like if you don't have a place to stay or you yeah. need to play one a place they to stay whatever it. like exactly they don't you know, they're, they're just, just drunk off so they gotta stay on the <laughs> but anyways back to the question what do you guys think is there a better major to win or is this you know without question the one you'd want to win and and why so I'll be the only one, I think, maybe in the room that says no. And the only reason I'd say that is because I think that the history of the Open is what makes the Open better. I know that Augusta is what makes the Masters, but when it comes to the Open, the history of these courses in St. Andrews, it just nothing gets better. And I also like that the Open and uh, these courses that they play over England, Ireland, Scotland, they always produce like really cool winners too. Like usually people that win at Augusta are top players in the world, but you can really see like a like a John Daly or something like that compete at a course where he might not be that high ranked in the world, but really compete when the conditions get tough because it's like that mental fortitude. The one thing I will give you about the Open is a lot of a lot of those courses are courses you can go play if right. you go over there, which is which is definitely a cool factor. Yeah, I, I would definitely say the Masters, but just to offer up another perspective, I would probably might even say the U.S. Open. I mean, I I really look at the U.S. Open as the the ultimate test of your golf game. It's the hardest tournament. The way they have those courses set up, I like to think of myself as somewhat of a grinder. You know, try to make pars versus you know just going out there and firing for birdies. And so I look at that tournament as a a pretty elite group of folks that have won and. You know, you look at the Disney movie, the greatest game ever played, Francis, Francis. We Met, winning the U.S. Open. I mean, there's some awesome storylines from the history of the U.S. Open. We're definitely going to do a segment on our, our favorite golf movies, but that is without a doubt my favorite one. Harry Varden. Oh, it's such a good one. And I'll say, so, so Dubs, I think that's a great point because, like, the Open appears to play difficult, but I think it really just plays a different style of golf, right, where the ball's on the ground a lot faster. You're not hitting flop shots. But when it comes to the U.S. Open, you got to have every shot in the bag. That, that course is played long, hard, and fast. 
and the rough is always grown out. When it comes to the open, like these courses, the rough's not always grown out. It's just usually the wind and the conditions that protect the course. I think for me, it's got to be the Masters. Um, yes, I don't know. Sir. If, I, I don't know if part of that's because it's always the first major of the year. Um, but when, what some of the things we're talking about is like the Champions Dinner. It's like you don't see us doing that for any of these other events. The drive, chip, and putt that's near it this year that we're talking about. It's like all these other things that go along with it. I think it makes the whole week awesome. It's like you don't see that to me, at least, with the other stuff. And then uh, we talked about it before. It's like I'm downloading the Masters app. I'm on the Masters website. I'm doing all this stuff. And honestly, I'm not doing that for most of the other tournaments. I think this one just draws me in the most. I think it shows how important it is for these committees to try and think outside the box. Like we're talking about how we think the PGA Tour can be a little boring and we need them to spice it up a bit. And that's why it might give light to like a Saudi league. When you look at the Masters and the board and Fred Riley and all these guys and, and historically all the chairpersons, they really try to think outside the box, and they've made this place amazing. Like, the par three was not widely loved when it was started, and the champion's dinner was probably not that highly, you know, talked about, but they do all these little traditions that make that tournament just amazing. Yeah, they, they were really stuck in their ways, I think, a little bit living in the past up until, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And so it's been really cool to see how progressive they've been. We've talked about the amateur tournament. We've talked about the drive, chip, and putt. I mean, pretty controversial, but those dude perfect guys were just there a few weeks ago, which it's is a marketing thing, man. You're pretty, right. You know, which at first I was like, oh man, that's so disrespectful. It's such a rich ritualistic course. And then it's like, this is for 10 year olds out there to get them interested in the game. And just for Augusta to kind of realize that opportunity to kind of get some younger fans was, was really neat to see. I think you're going to see 10 year olds bringing out Frisbees and Vortex footballs, yeah. not golf clubs out there though. Colin, what, what do you think? What's your thought on the... the What's your favorite thing? major, Colin? Well, yeah. just to make my voice heard, I'd rather win the PGA Championship because the trophy's the biggest. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm also with the Masters. I won't belabor the point, but just all the history there, the green jacket, the fact you can come back anytime you want, um, the Champions Dinner, all of it, That's that, that would just draw me in. That's the one I want to win. So then what's our what's our favorite memory from the Masters? We have like some pretty iconic ones, 19 and Tiger uh, winning after his, you know, his comeback, his Tiger's chip in in 05. That was when the Nike logo kind of sat on the edge that we had in our most recent Instagram post. What are your guys' favorite moments? Mine's got to be the chip in. When, you, when he sees it go in and you just see him kind of lean back, double fist bumps, pumps with both arms and just the – excitement that he has and it's like everybody it's like we still get goosebumps when we're watching i'm it. getting it's goosebumps like, right now I was gonna say that ha- that's my voice but that's gotta be <laughs> what it is but doesn't it feel like in that moment where golf might not be on the forefront of sports it felt like the world stopped moving for like 30 seconds while you watch that ball tip in. You, you still watch that clip and everyone's just kind of hanging on waiting for that ball. you know it's going in the cup and everyone still just hangs on waiting for that ball to drop and did just the just exclamation from everybody as this goes in the place erupts and every time i watch that clip i just look at the setup and how they're kind of setting the stage i think it's Vern lundquist on the famous call there and every time it gets me i'm like there's no way he can put this close like and then it's like oh well yeah obviously i know what happens but it's just incredible every time it's such a long shot, plays it up the slope, brings it right down perfectly. It's just just insane the amount of difficulty. I mean, it's a shot that amateurs probably less than 10% of the time can get inside of like 10 or 15 feet, let alone him making it in that moment. Like, I think that's what makes Tiger so special. And we might not ever see another Tiger is because, like even Scotty in his recent success hasn't really played amazing down the stretch. He's weathered the storm in a couple instances. He played pretty good at the WGC. But when Tiger won, nobody won like Tiger. He really he set the standard. He was never happy with how under par he was. He always wanted to push it deeper. 
And let's not forget the stakes of that chip-in. He went on to win in a playoff that year, so he needed that to go in in order to keep his chances up. And that's what, that's what I'm saying about Tiger. Is like he, When he needed it, it's like he focused more and just got the job done. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, my favorite memory's got to be 2019, him making the comeback and winning that green jacket again, uh, taking down Molinari and Finau. I, I don't remember how many strokes back was he going into that round. It was kind of a weird year. The weather was bad. They started super early. And he just rode the ship. He played such solid golf that whole day where everyone else was faltering. Uh, Ken, I'll speak for Ken. It's also his favorite moment. Him and I were together at a pub in Arlington watching that whole round. We got there early. We were watching with all these like 50, 60-year-old guys who were golf fans. And they were like literally in tears when Tiger won just to see it again. So that's definitely our favorite memory. Yeah, I kind of have to agree with you there. It's For me, 2019 is when... Like I'm, I've actually been paying attention to golf. You know, the 2005 chip, it's obviously iconic. It's a huge moment, an unreal shot. But for me, it wasn't something like I wasn't really paying that much attention to golf in 2005. I didn't even start golfing until 2010. So it, it doesn't mean as much to me. Like, but 2019, watching that, like, that is, it's literally like watching a movie. It's like watching the greatest game I ever played. Like, you know all of Tiger's backstory, how huge this comeback was. Kind of, and just being able to watch that, like, I'll be honest, Monday night I watched... I watched the entire final round just because I had something, it was something to do. And I just had chills the entire time, knowing exactly what's going to happen. Like Tyler said, you, you know, that chip's going to fall in the cup, knowing the entire time you're just like, you're on edge the whole time, just waiting to see it. And I think it's just so cool. Um, that being said, it's not necessarily my first memory and like not necessarily what sticks in my head the most. I think for me, it's, it's Bubba's 2012 uh, hook out of the trees on 10 that is the one that sticks in my mind the most. I remember being at my uncle's house Easter Sunday watching that one. And I think that's because, again, I was just starting golf. And I just, that is just such a cool shot. And his whole, he's crouching, walking out of the trees. And it's just, I think that's one of my favorite actual memories. Like from a degree of difficulty too, like uh, if you don't know, so like as your loft goes down, it's easier to move the ball more. So you can move a five iron a lot more than you can move a lob wedge. And for Bubba, to hit that like 40 yard hook out of the trees like he did with like a 52 degree wedge is pretty much unhumanly possible. Like there's not many people in the world that can do that. So when I think about that, I think about that is probably my most, most iconic shot. Cause you're right. Like the still pictures from there where you can still see the pine straw. And then another pine straw moment is the fill on, on the, on the par five, uh, 13th uh, hitting out of the pine straw. That's probably one of my favorite too. He goes on to win his green jacket there. So six iron out of the trees from like 210 carries race Creek to 20 feet for Eagle. Those lefties love the pine straw, huh? And they're creative, right? I think that's one thing about Augusta that's so beautiful is like you can play this straight down the center golf and win here, but you can also, it produces a winner that when they're in the trees and they're in trouble, they hit the greatest shots that they'll ever play. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely have to say 2019 as well. And and what's really cool to think about with that tournament is it's not too often the guy that inspires an entire generation gets to go toe-to-toe with that next generation in a championship like this. And and those guys that were on the top of the leaderboard are all like the big names in golf and had never really been relevant when Tiger was playing his best golf. And that day, you saw him climbing the leaderboard, and these guys got to experience that Tiger effect and just didn't know what to do. And so it was just fascinating to see that almost passing of the torch of him kind of showing these guys like yeah i still got a few tricks up my sleeve one of the best highlights i think from that is i think it was tiger you know hits it close on maybe it was 16 or it almost goes in the hole and the crowd roars and then they cut over to the 17th where brooks is waiting to tee off 
But Brooks isn't teeing off. He's just on his tiptoes looking over the crowd trying to see what just happened. He almost like his head goes down. Yeah, too. He's he, like, ah, oh, it's Tiger. Yeah, and it's just like that, that really shows that Tiger effect. And it was just like, it, it's so cool. That's a snapshot in time, too, where Brooks was playing unbelievable golf, had taken like three of the last five majors. And then Francesco Molinari was also playing incredible golf. Had just won like an open championship and was contending all over the place. So these weren't just good golfers. These were good golfers playing some of their best golf of their career and just crumbled to the Tiger effect. Not to mention, I think that in that open, Molinari, he had outlasted Tiger. It was, it yeah. was, it was and Tiger struggled a little bit down the stretch yeah. too. It was funny. Yeah. But just to offer up a, a little bit different of a take here, I, I wasn't watching golf at the time, but I've definitely gone down the rabbit holes of watching old highlights. The 1997 Masters, which this year is ironically the 25th anniversary of Tiger winning by 12 strokes to collect his first major. I mean, hearing some of the stories, he starts his 1997 Masters with a 40, which is four over par on the front nine, and then goes 22 over or something crazy over the next three and a half rounds. And just his true coming out party in the majors and Really cool to see. He could have also been an amateur still at that point. So he had just won three straight years of the amateur, turned pro right before this Masters, and goes out there and just punishes the field. was just a really cool highlight to kind of go back and look at and see kind of where Tiger got his start in these majors. I think there are so few golfers that I can think of in the current game that can really get to that like out-of-body experience where they're just – making birdie after birdie after birdie and it's not affecting them. And like the only one I can think of is like DJ and you know, he struggles from time to time, but there's maybe even Spieth. I know he's a little talkative and in his head, but DJ and Spieth are like the only guys that can think of that can just roll off six birdies and go to the next tee. Like nothing's happened and you just don't see it anymore. But it was, it was cool also to hear some of the testimonies of the guys playing at the time. And it was like, I can't believe what he did on 13, taking his tee shot over the trees and tiger was just doing things that nobody had ever seen before at Augusta and really cool to really cool to experience and in a recap how about when he was interviewed after that round he said yeah I've never really played a round where I knew that I played to the best of my abilities and this was almost to the best of my abilities (laughs) what what do you think it looks like if it was his best I think one last memory for me like it's you kind of brought up DJ and how like he's you know that stoke he just kind of rolls with it everything you don't really see much emotion out of him was when he won back in 2020 you know he goes out there and really, there wasn't. It didn't feel like there was that many like big highlights necessarily from that one. You know, he won twenty under, set the record, which so obviously he's playing really good golf. But what you know, what I remember is the fact that this guy that you get no emotion of, you don't really get many jokes or anything. He's in tears and can barely talk. You know, when yeah. he's when he's being presented with the green jacket and they're interviewing and everything. And we've seen people cry at the Masters, stuff like that. You know, Bubba, you know, notorious crying <laughs> every time. Bubba cries at everything. He cries, at, but he, exactly. I love him, he, he but cries, it's true. Exactly, he cries at everything. But then you see this this guy that is known for the exact opposite. He just can't even control it. I just think that's a cool moment that really just like speaks to like the level of what this tournament means to these players. And I'd love to see DJ get back in the winter circle too, because that was the November or December master. So it has mm-hmm. a little bit of an asterisk to it, but we know that DJ can take it low anytime he wants for sure. Yeah. And not to just keep going back to tiger here, but I mean, that was another cool thing about his 2019 win is his kids got to see him as tiger freaking woods for like the first time in their lives and for him to win that tournament and be able to go over there and kind of celebrate with his kids for the first time was really a special moment. Yeah, I think one of his like big quotes coming out of that was like, this one meant so much to me because it, for my kids, 
they only saw golf as something that hurt me and now they got to see like how amazing it can be and like how much it means yeah to and we're, we're gonna see that highlight of tiger embracing charlie so many times in you know 10 15 years when charlie's winning and embracing his dad tiger on the 18th of augusta probably so. tyler too right he's gonna be there <laughs> That's after Tiger tees off as one of the uh, honorable starters. Honorary starters, and then Charlie's on the tee next. Nice. So then another spotlight we got this week is many of our listeners probably know, but uh, Augusta is really known for Amen Corners. So let's just walk through it real quick. So uh, the par 411th, which we alluded to earlier, which has some changes, is this long 520-yard par 4 down the hill, dogleg right. Uh, it has water that protects the front left of the green. So any approach shot needs to be wary of that. A lot of times these guys are... 200 plus yards out because these greens are so firm. They're even playing it in the moguls short and right of the green and hoping it bounces up. If you get into the trees on the right, once again, you're playing a punch shot that brings that water into play. I think this is historically like the hardest hole in the course, right? It plays well over par. Uh, it's, it's one of those holes. Like we talked about, it's really fun to watch because it's a hole. We know none of us can play. <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah. It'll be like we talked about before. It'll be really interesting to see how these guys play this hole because you know, like we talked about in the interviews, no one really knows what to expect with how it's going to play. So I think it's going to play a lot different than prior years just because there's more bailout areas off the tee, but it'll be really interesting to kind of see a different perspective from prior years. Yep, and that one's called White Dogwood, and then we move on to number 12, uh, which is uh, Golden Bell, which is, I think, the, probably the most iconic par three. Uh, the one thing about the whole Amen corner is that the green on 11 and then the tee box and hole par three on 12 and then the tee box on 13 are all kind of cut off from fans. So it's this very, like, bubble-like effect. And, and 12, why it's the most iconic hole to me is I was looking it up earlier. This green, uh, so it's a par three over Ray's Creek, bunker in the front, bunkers in the back. Uh, the front right of the green pretty much runs into the water, so any spin on the ball or if a ball's coming out of those bunkers with any pace, it's going right back into the creek. Then you have pretty much just as challenging of a pitch shot into the green. It's just a great, iconic hole. Uh, but this green is only nine paces deep in the middle over the front bunker and at its widest point, which is on the left, which is 60, 70 feet away from the Sunday pin location, is 12, just 12 or 16 paces deep. So it's just an absolutely tiny green. The wind swirls like crazy. These guys only have like pitching wedge or nine iron, but to watch them struggle on a 155-yard par three is always so much fun. Yeah, and what really sets this hole apart, you said it, 155, that's that's an easy par three for us. I mean, that's a short <laughs> iron. They're easier. Three. There's no such thing as an easy par three. But you look at these guys struggle year after year, and it's like we said, the the swirling winds, it, it changes direction from where they just played. The flag blows in a different direction than above the trees. And you can't just flight it down and hit a punch and kind of get through the wind. You have, like Ben said, it's so narrow. You can't take a punch in there. So you just got to hit a, a shot up in the air and just pray that it hits the green and doesn't land up, wind up short in the water. And even though it's not as iconic as like 17 at Sawgrass per se from a picture or like recognition perspective, Sawgrass, like, you know, we saw it in the past. It was really windy when they played this year, but that green is a decent size. It's a little bit shorter, and you can generally tell which direction the wind's coming from. But the way this hole is set up, you can't really play a low shot to keep it under the wind because it won't hold the green. So these guys have to just throw it up in there. And, and it's, it's such a guessing game, and it's always fun to watch the guys because they're always so baffled when the ball ends up in the water, like 20 yards short, and you're like, how is a professional golfer this baffled by a shot? They were saying on the Golf Channel coverage today that they're expecting westerly winds all weekend, which apparently uh, Aaron Oberholzer was saying that means on this 12th hole that the wind is going to be whipping around like crazy. Should be a lot of fun to watch. So then we move in to the end of Amen yeah, Corner. Sorry, sorry oh, yeah, Ben. Ahead, One Josh. more quick note here. <laughs> 
I, I appreciate it just because of my background, but this is one of those holes you see all those that landscaping just showcased all behind the green. You see the azaleas and everything making it a picturesque hole. And, you know, fun fact, shout out to my mom. Augusta National used to be a plant nursery before they turned it into a golf course, which is why this course and all the holes are named after flowers. You know, one of those fun facts that I turned up this week. Other fun fact, it was also used for, like, cattle and shit. Yeah, I remember, World like, War goats II. and cattle. Yeah. And yeah, I remember that, too. It's really funny to see, like, this perfectly, absolutely perfectly manicured course year in and year out to what it was 70, 80 years ago. It was, like, literally a goat Just pattern. cow shit yeah. everywhere. <laughs> so then we move into the 13th hole, the end of Amen Corner, the famous Azalea Par 5, 510 yards, big dog leg left. Honestly, a hole that, until you're there in person, which none of us can can say we have been, but it doesn't, it looks like a tee shot. You just need to hit a draw on and it continues to always challenge these players. It's, it's only five ten, So, you know, if you hit a good drive up there, you got like a mid iron in, uh, but it really bottlenecks as it turns left. And then this fairway is like a 40 degree slope from right to left. So all your lies are uneven. You're hitting into a green that generally feeds off the front into the right, into the Creek. Uh, just a really fun hole. Lots of Eagles will be made this week, uh, but you'll see lots of big mistakes too. It's so cool how on all three of these holes, you just have Ray's Creek just running up and it impacting so much of the play on every single one. And like, this is that, you know, final real stretch for Ray's Creek here. And I feel like every year there's a couple people that are going for that Eagle come up a little short in that final round. It just trickles back into Ray's Creek and it's just, you just see their round just and their, their chances go up in flames. Yeah, it's fascinating watching these guys try and navigate this tee shot because it is a forced draw for all those righties. So many guys struggle with that. So to see them try and hit a draw, hang it way right into the trees, or draw it and try and hit and hit a snap hook down into the creek. So it's a really demanding tee shot for some of these guys. But guys like Bryson, I think, bombed it over all the trees last year, had a like pitching wedge into the green on his second shot. So definitely a a pretty risk-reward shot here off the tee. Yeah, we'll see a lot of three woods coming off the tee, which is unique for a par five because if these guys hit driver and they, literally if you hit a dead straight drive with a driver, it's going into the trees and you're laying up for your second. And even for a guy like Rory McIlroy, who probably hits the most iconic and prettiest draw in the game as his main shot, is this is his this is the scene of his famous meltdown when he almost won his first Masters. He just duck hooks it into the trees, makes an eight, and just ends up, uh, you know, his, his chances are just gone. So even for guys that draw the ball, this hole is incredibly challenging. And then the reason that guys hit three wood off the tee for all of our listeners don't know too, is like your three wood spins a little more than your driver. So it's a lot easier to work the ball. Um, so these guys are taking, they'll play 40 yards back just to make sure that they can control their tee shot a little more. All right, that does it for this segment. We'll be back in a second to talk about our picks for the week. We're ready to share our picks with everyone, but before we do it, let's look at the weather because I think it's going to play a factor this week. Tyler? Yeah, this always plays a little bit of a part uh, with who you're picking for the week. Um, overall, it's a little bit different than what we're used to seeing in Augusta. I mean, you've got 73 degrees on Thursday. You've got a 24% chance that we're going to see a little bit of rain, but 15-mile-an-hour winds coming out of the west, kind of touching base on what Colin was saying earlier. Friday, we're going to see the temperatures drop a little bit more, drop into 66 degrees, still mostly sunny, no no chance of rain, but this we're going to see 19-mile-an-hour winds, so that could really be difficult for some of the players as they're really trying to hit some of these smaller greens. I have to keep an eye off on my morning commute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Saturday's where it gets a little interesting. Saturday, we're going to see 59 degrees. Not not normal for Augusta right about now. It's going to be cloudy out there with 16-mile-an-hour wind. So that's that's going to be tough for these guys to handle, I think. But then we're, we're perched for a great finish. 70 degrees, sunny, no chance for rain, 7-mile-an-hour winds. It's going to be a beautiful finish on Sunday to hopefully see our boy Tiger come down there. Yeah, I mean, this this forecast is a little concerning for Tiger because, you know, again, that's who we all care about. Because it is going to be colder this year, he talked in his press conference today. They asked him what weather out here would make it most difficult, and he very bluntly said, if it's cold, because basically my body's aged, and with all the work that I've had done, all the mechanical parts, all that metal will it's get cold. so much harder <laughs> moving around out here when it's colder, so... Luckily, I think his tee time set up pretty nicely to avoid the, that early morning frost and, and cold weather. So hopefully he can uh, avoid playing in, in too cold of weather, but we'll see. Yeah, and then we're going to jump right into our picks for the week. A little bit different format for us. Um, I'm not going to read through the favorites. It's such a talented field this week that really it's almost anybody's game. Um, but we're going to start actually with Ben, who had the lowest odds for a winner but he's going with a stud, John Rahm. He's at plus twelve hundred to win. Ben, what do you like about Rahm this week? You know, I think all season we haven't picked Rahm. He's always like the top of the odds. He's you know previous number one golfer in the world, number two now to Scotty, who's been hot. Uh, but what I'm really looking for Rahm is that he's he's been having a pretty solid year. Nothing that's uh, too notable, but you know some solid top tens. Um, but what I really saw last year in 21 when he won uh, the U.S. Open was that he plays top ten in every major. Uh, it was really impressive. Uh, I made the comment that I think Rom. I'll say it again. I think is probably the one of the only people I think that can get the double digit wins in majors. I really see him bearing down this year. Uh, this is the place where if he's going to get to that double digit, he's got to win four or five August. You know, at Augusta, four or five times. He has the game. I think that can win here. He's long. Uh, his putter's been eluding him a little bit, which is surprising because he, when he was playing really well last year, his putter was what was what won him the U.S. Open. Uh, so I think his short game really stacks up. Well, he's a great iron player, but he's got to get that putter going. He's gone with that like back and forth his putter this a couple times this year, hasn't he? Yeah, the, like really minor modifications too. I think they're overplaying it a bit, like the neck, like the neck length on his putter and the slant. Like they're not major changes. Like one guy is DJ. DJ is so iconically a guy that changes putters all the time. And his putting stats say exactly the same. Like sometimes when you change your new putter, you might get like a little, have a little dip or, you know, you might get a little better. But DJ changes putters all the time and plays the same. It's kind of what it's a mental go- game. Baby. It's kind of what's going on with Rom. Like he's changing putters a little bit. He's, he's just in a bit of a lull with his, with his putter. But uh, that's what he, he's going to need to do that well to win. Yeah. After, after the season he had in 2021, we expected him to just continue that momentum into 2022 here. His performances so far, especially as the world number one, have left, left us a little bit wanting. So I'm hoping he can come out here and kind of start getting some positive steam rolling forward with the rest of his year and kind of pick up his first green jacket. Would would love to see it for arguably the best golfer on the planet. Yeah, another Spaniard taking home a green jacket. That's what I want. Yeah, I like this pick, Rom. Or yeah, I like this pick, Ben. Rom, I think he's been played well here, and I think as he gets more of these starts under his belt at the Masters, he's just going to figure out how to play around here, and he's going to be very dangerous. He mentioned it today in his interview. He's like, I'm the only Spaniard that's won a major that isn't the Masters. And he was like real grumpy about it. He was a little grumpy in his interview today. It was kind of funny. Eh, Spaniards, man. You got to take them like a grain of salt. (laughs) 
We're, we're going to jump to Ken. Uh, Ken couldn't be with us today. He's fighting off COVID. So, Ken, hope you're doing all right, buddy. Uh, we miss you for this, especially for this episode. Take but. some more Delsum. <laughs> <laughs> Work on that artwork, baby. <laughs> yeah, true. The Instagram's fire this week. You notice that why Ken's had a little bit more time on his hands. Um, but Ken's going with Justin Thomas this week at plus 1,300. Uh, just a few things about JT. He's never missed a cut at Augusta in the seven years he's participated. And, I mean, you always see him near the top 10, top 20 in some of these big tournaments. Um, anyone else see anything fun about JT this week of why he might be up there? Yeah, Ken mentioned it. You know, he's he's definitely got you know Tiger's ear, uh, in, in just in general. You know, going into it, you know, he's all right. He's, Tyson got his ear, like <laughs> Holyfield's ear. Reach. Uh, all right, <laughs> I liked it. Yeah, who said it on the press conference today? It, it was John Rahm. He can't. Speaking of you know being a little grumpy, bitter. Yeah, he was like, oh, there's only one guy on tour that you know gets any advice from uh, Tiger, and it's JT. Sounds like Rom just needed a Snickers. <laughs> he <laughs> Snickers. He's looking forward to that Wagyu beef later. <laughs> he doesn't get it. That's why he's a little upset. That's why he's so upset. He's yeah. the leftovers. Like we'd all be upset. Like ZJ is going to bring him leftovers. Like, no, Sergio. Sergio's going to have some in his pocket hey. for him. <laughs> Take the rolls home. Yeah, but uh, but regardless, you know, with JT, it's a good point. You know, he does have that. You know, he does get to. He played that practice round with you know Tiger and Charlie. He does have that. You know, little insight. He talks to Tiger. You know, I saw him today on the broadcast. You know, there's sitting in the bunker chipping together and you know all that kind of stuff so he maybe does have a little insight you know that you know some other guys don't have yeah jt definitely uh, he's got to be on notice this week i mean he's the best classical golfer in the world from you know we talked about it the players how well he shapes his shots he's got such a solid swing great ball striking all of that not to mention he's got all the the course knowledge here with tiger and not to mention he's got bones on the bag not not our bones Someone who's a little better at golf than that. A little stronger. Bones, Bones Mackay. Better looking. Phil's, Phil's notorious or infamous caddy for so long. So he's got so much experience on the bag this week. He's got everything going in a positive direction here. He's got to compete at least to kind of start cementing himself back to where he was a couple of years ago. This will be his first Masters with Bones in the bag, right? Because yeah, 20 so, yeah. yeah. He just, they just started last year. So the only other thing, like you said, Josh, about JT's swing is it's it's that classical two-plane swing. So like his shoulder line creates a plane, and then his hands and his left arm going back create like a separate a separate plane. Uh, guys that swing two-plane like that have a bit of a steeper angle of attack, so it's easier to hit off these undulating lies in these Augusta fairways. Uh, for a guy like maybe like Matt Kuchar that sweeps the ball a little bit more, like he's going to interact with the turf a lot more, so it's a little harder for him to play. He's going to play a lot. You know, He's going to try to brush it more. Uh, for, for JT, there's really no better iron player in the world. Maybe Colin Morikawa, I agree, but he... Uh, He's got the game. He's just going to have to, you know, like we talk about his putter, get his putter going. He's the best iron player in the world, in my opinion. Yeah, you brought up the putting, Ben. Um, they threw the stats up today on the Golf Channel. But from 5 to 10 feet, JT is 106, 122nd on tour. And from uh, 10 to 15 feet is 138th. So if he can kind of make those short to mid-range putts and knock them in this week when he needs them, he's going to be dangerous as well. Yeah, we're, we're playing on bent grass this week. Going to be a little bit different than the last few months on tour. So hopefully JT kind of can turn things around here with a different uh, putting medium. That Alabama here. bent grass. Yeah, Thanks, grass guy. He grew up on it, yeah. Dub, I'm going to throw right back to you. So you're next on our list here with Cam Smith at plus 1,500. We've seen him play some pretty solid golf here recently. Do you think he has what it takes? Like, What do you think about him this week? Yes. As soon as I watched him win the players, he became my immediate pick for the Masters. I think he's... He's got a lot of positive success here. I think top 10 last year, 
tied for second in the COVID Masters, so some pretty good performances here. His short game is his asset, and playing at Augusta, you have to have a very solid short game. He leads the tour, I think, or is in the top in strokes gain putting. I mean, he picked up 11 strokes on the field at the players, so that's that going to that lend him yeah. very well here this week at Augusta. His downfall is always off the tee. He really struggles hitting fairways, so it'll be interesting to see. Augusta is notoriously easy off the tee, so he can spray the ball a little bit. The, the fairways are so wide, he's not going to find himself in trouble, so what's normally a liability to him is kind of going to be a null point this week, so I expect him to compete and, and really do well. I think other than Cam's tee shot on 18 at the players where he put it right in the trees, but I think mentally he just knew that he couldn't go in the water. Cam's like a pretty decent driver of the golf ball. Um, it's, it's probably the weak part of his game, but the one thing I've noticed about him is when the pressure gets high, he hits the driver really well. Like there were a lot of holes at the players coming down the stretch where they called the course pretty much like unplayable. Like the wind was whipping 20 mile an hour into them. As the listeners and us know, like when you're playing into the wind, your ball is going to move more than it would downwind because it's going to spin more. And Cam looks so impressive when the pressure got high. So come Sunday, I bet he hits that driver dead straight if he's in contention. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely obviously showed that, you know, he can win. And obviously with the players winning big events, you know, he's one of what, you know, I guess it's five players now with Scotty's most recent win that have won three times in the last year or so. So, you know, he's definitely certainly someone to watch as well as obviously, you know, big player faithful Scotty Shuffler. Tully, I'm going to throw it right back to you now. So you're going with Brooks Kepka plus 1,900 to win. We've seen him recently absolutely dominate some of these majors. Is he going to continue that streak? Yeah, I mean, this is a pick I went back and forth on. Obviously, there's just so many guys in this field. But when it came down to it, you know, Brooks is that guy, and he, he you know, it's his big claim, his thing. is like, I really only care about the majors. And he's pretty much backed that up, in, especially in the last, you know, five, ten year, five, six years. You know, he's always relevant. He missed the cut last year at the Masters. If anyone's talking about that, blah, 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 shut up. But before that, you know, T7, T2, T11 – but And then in the year he did miss the cut of the Masters, he went tied for second at the uh, PGA, tied for fourth at the U.S. Open, and tied for sixth at the Open Championship. So clearly he knows how to play. And it just kind of feels like one of those things where he's going to get, he's going to win it eventually almost, it feels like in my mind. And is and plus 1900, like he's actually, his odds actually went up throughout the week because, you know, as Tiger hype comes, all that kind of, kind of stuff. So he got up to plus 1,900. I think it started at like 15 or 14. So and it came out like a good bet. I think Brooks, too, when he missed the cut last year, was on the front end of what became a major like reconstructive knee surgery. So I don't think there's too much there. Brooks is a premier ball striker, tee to green. Uh, his putter gets really hot. His short game is above average. So uh, Brooks could definitely contend here this week easily. Yeah. And a great pressure golfer, too. He's he's in pretty good form. I mean, we saw him make a deep run at the uh, match play format and you know before that at the Valspar. So definitely starting to kind of turn a corner and combine it with it being a major. I mean, I he's definitely got to be in contention this week. Yeah, and you talk about we talked about some of the changes of this course, lengthening some of these critical holes down the stretch. Uh, Brooks is so long off the tee. I don't think that's going to be a big factor for him. Yeah, I think the only one thing that I look at Brooks and I think uh, there's a little to be desired is that he's not great at working the ball both ways off the tee. He's pretty much predominantly a cut player. I guess he can he can play it generally straight, but he does not hit a draw very well. Uh, I think you'll see T Brooks take a lot of alternate clubs off the tee on some of these holes like 10 and 13 where you really got to work the ball kind of around the corner. I, I actually hope I see that rather than him trying to do something that's not comfortable because that's where you see a lot of players get in trouble here. And I think Colin Morikawa was talking about it today that like – 
his first two masters or whatever, like he would try to, you know, I think he likes to play a fade, but he would just try to force himself into playing a draw, even though only, you know, a couple holes really require it. So if he's, you know, if he can stay disciplined and not, you know, do those you know, questionable decisions, I think he's going to have a good chance. Yeah, I think when I look at Brooks, he compresses the ball maybe better than anyone else on tour from like a power perspective. So he needs to realize that like on the 10th hole, which is like a 500 yard par four, but dog legs left, he can hit three wood and take his 180 in and, and you know, hit his seven, eight iron just as close as someone like Bubba can hit what was a gap wedge out of the trees, but Bubba can work it around that corner. So if Brooks plays smart this week, I think he's got a great chance. Yeah, it's funny, Tully, you mentioned it. I forgot about the comment he made about only really trying about in the Masters, and he's backed it up, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him up there again this week. Uh, we're going to actually jump now to myself. I went with our boy, Double L, Colin Morikawa, at plus 2,200 to win. Uh, he's, he's really only played in two Masters, so he doesn't have a ton of course experience, but he's building that. That's one of the things we talked about Tiger earlier. He's played in so many. He's gaining so many strokes on the field just because of the knowledge he has. Yeah, Collins only played in two, but some of those things that Tully just mentioned, he's he's seen some of the mistakes he's made, so he's going to be able to start to make those changes, really kind of grow his game here in Augusta. Um, one of the things Ben also referenced him earlier is when he was talking about JT is, you know, it's a it's either the first or second when you're looking it's a close at the eye. Yeah. Um, so th- I think he's just going to be thrown in onto these smaller greens, and he- it's really for him going to come down to putting. And one of the things that I thought was interesting about him, and I don't know how this ties in with other golfers, but you look at him over the year, his putting gets exponentially better as the tournament goes on. His average for round one is 29 putts per uh, per round, and then in round two he jumps up to 29.83. But what was really interesting to me is as the tournament progresses – his putting gets better. I don't know if that's him kind of zeroing in and really focusing more, but he drops that down to 27.4 in round three. And then in round four, he's actually at 26.4 putts per round. Um, and then the way I'm looking at those numbers is he's going to be focused all week long. It's the Masters. He's zeroed in. So are we going to see more of those 26 putts around that we're seeing in round four normally when he's getting more zeroed in? Are we going to be able to see that over the entire week just because he's so much more focused with it being the Masters? I don't know if you see this progression too much with other players. Um, I guess probably what I'm thinking in round four when he averages 26 putts, which is super low, it's probably because he's being super aggressive with some of these pins. And as you know, on Sunday, they tend to tuck them really, really far into corners. So you're going to miss a few greens. So you might have a few less putts because you're getting up and down. Uh, and and Morikawa's short game really always is amazing. But I don't really think, I don't think you see this progression very much. So I, you definitely see him learning the greens a little more as the week goes on. He gets more comfortable. You got to love that kind of a stat when you're looking coming down the, you know, like they say, the master starts on the back nine on Sunday. You got to love Morikawa probably putting his best on that nine. Yeah, this is definitely a pick I like a lot too, Tyler. I mean, obviously, I think we're probably going to like a lot of these picks, but you look at Kyle Morikawa, it's a guy that 2020 wins the, the U.S. Open, 2021 he wins the Open Championship. He's just kind of checking off all the majors, you know, why not? Why not the yeah, Masters? Why not? Why not? There was a point in time where, like you know, when he hit when he hit that drivable par four at like Olympic Club. I where was where was the PGA? The no. Somewhere in San Harding Park, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Harding, Harding Park. Park. Yep. When he hit the green there on that 16th hole with driver, I mean, it felt like in that moment we had like another potential Tiger player on our hands. And I know he's been up and down a little bit, but. Uh, I think that his strength is his irons, and his irons just haven't been that good recently. Once we see those things come back, it's just it, the floodgates could open. Yeah, it's it's all about the putter for for Morikawa here. So 
these greens are so tough, so demanding. You, you really have to know how to read them and hit the right speed. You're going to have a lot of long putts down severe slopes. So if he's got the putter going, he, we're definitely going to see him in contention on Sunday. But if not, it could be a an early uh, exit for Colin. Ooh. I worry that when Morikawa went to that claw grip, he's trying to get better inside of 5 and 10 feet but he loses a bit of his creativity. So like you look at a guy like I know like people think that Rory is maybe not a great putter, but there have been many a great golf analysts that think that Rory really is like a top 10 putter of all time because even though he struggles from short distance, his feel and his ability to make putts when the time counts is is what makes him great. I think for Colin, I just like to see him be a little bit more touchy feely on the greens and not be so robotic. Well, he switches grips based on how far away he is, right? I didn't know that, but that makes sense. I, I, I feel like I watched some guy recently. I'm pretty sure it was him where, like, outside of 30 feet, he putts one way. If he's closer, he's got that claw grip. So definitely a, definitely an interesting uh, combination for him there. It's kind of hard to get ever like a really good feel at any point, I feel like, at that point. And then I mentioned we changed the format a little bit this week, not just focusing on the top 10 favorites. Um, you definitely heard our first five picks leaning towards the top, which obviously makes sense. Those are the guys that everyone's going to say are going to be in contention. <laughs> but I have to throw it to Colin here. So Colin at plus 7,500 is so confident in your boy, Billy, Billy, Billy Horschel. How do you not look at Bubba here? He's a three-time. Oh, not Bubba, but Billy. But we're going with Billy, so we're going to need a new sound effect here coming up because <laughs> Colin loves him some Billy Horschel. Colin has long shots here. Plus 7,500. Colin, what really made you go with that this week when there were some more favorites near the top of the board? You could have followed suit with the rest of us, but no, you're out on the limb going with Billy Horschel. Well, let me tell you, when I saw the odds on Billy Billy this week, I was absolutely licking my chops. I've said it before. No one, no one does the game. Gator chomp like Billy Billy, and we're going to see it this week. This is his eighth Masters, fellas. Eight. He's played in eight of these. Who knew? Who knew he'd been around for so long? And how we talk about his form this year. How about this for his, for his six starts this year? You got the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines, tied for 11th. Waste Management Phoenix Open, tied for 6th. Donda Open and down in Florida, tied for 16th. Arnold Palmer, tied for 2nd, in a position to win that one on Sunday, where he probably should have won it. And then WGC match play, he was on an absolute tear until he ran into Scotty. So I would argue he's the hottest player on tour right now other than our boy Scotty Scheffler. He was quoted on Monday kind of talking about what he's learned around here. And he said, we all know where we can hit it here. And we're solely, he said his new mindset is solely focusing on executing the golf shots that he knows he can hit and not worrying about what happens if he can't pull it off. Um, He's got his caddy, Mark Fooch Fulcher, on the bag who is Justin Rose's longtime caddy, who's had a ton of success here. Um, He's morphed his game this year into hitting a more consistent draw. So we've talked about draws and fades already, but it really, if you can hit a draw consistently on this course, it's a huge benefit. And um, he has one of the best short games on tour this year. He's 11th in strokes gained putting, 29th in strokes gained around the green, and 13th in strokes gained total. So it's really, everything seems to be adding up here for Billy Billy, and I can't believe his odds are so long at this point. It is pretty long for Billy, and in a similar comment I made about JT and his iron play is Billy has like one of those really pretty classical two-plane swings, so when the lies get weird, Billy feels comfortable. I love the pick, Colin. Yeah, I don't know. I think the most relevant he's going to be this week is him being the first person to really talk to Tiger on the range and getting his sound bites in, but, you know, we'll see. No, I'm just kidding. He He's definitely one of the hottest golfers. He's playing really consistent. I cannot believe his odds are this long. I mean, this is kind of shocking to me seeing this for the first time, but... 
It'll be interesting. Is he slated to wear the the patented pink pants this weekend? Unfortunately not. I did see a script for this week. It's uh, it's kind of all white, gray, and I think a little bit of blue. There wasn't a ton of the scripting that I was impressed with this week. We got the Adidas guys all wearing the same shirts again. They're not going to wear the waffle shoes? <laughs> No, no, I don't. They think so. might wear the Waffle House shoes. Yeah, I don't know what was up with those things, but I think it, Waffle House was like founded in Augusta or something like that. Yeah, all right. Um, but I gotta say, Con, I'm not a big fan of this pick. You, know, you love the Gator Chomp, but I here we go. It's just, Why? I mean, hit him. It's just, it's just not. Augusta is known for just not allowing these kind of you know coarse vermin on the course. There's no <laughs> gators. There's no birds. There's no vermin. squirrels. It, it, the Gator's not going to succeed. I just don't see it. Fred really's taking the Gators out back. Yeah, we'll see about that. When this course really, it's like 11, 18, maybe like number two. There's not many holes that like you just have to play a fade for a righty. Most of the course, you got plenty of room to play a draw. And Billy, you're right. He is driving the ball outstandingly. He has like one of the most well-balanced swings, I think, on tour. And when he's hitting his mid-height draw, it's just uh, he can do it all day. A funny story about Billy I heard this week. So his first Masters, his first attempt, we see it all the time, them trying to – do the iconic skip across the yep. water on, on one of the practice rounds. Yeah. Yep. So his first his first shot at it, he was so worried about hitting it too low and just plunking it in the pond. He hit an absolute stinger four iron that didn't even get close to the pond. He hit it straight into the pedestrian, the, <laughs> the patrons in the back. He said it was the first time anyone's had to yell four on that shot. John Rom famously making that shot two years ago. That was uh, pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, 2019, I think, is the last one, the last part three contest. Closest he's come to winning a Masters. <laughs> No, it'll be this week when he wins. Doubtful. And then we had one more. Uh, so we'll put our long shots on the Instagram. Everyone have them together here soon. But uh, Telly had a cool one in Justin Rose at plus twenty or plus seventy five hundred, similar to Billy. So maybe not a long shot. We'll just uh, it, it's a long shot. Yeah, so yeah. we'll add him in the pod. But I had a really funny story about Justin Rose. So uh, a friend of mine placed a bet on Justin Rose. Him and his dad put together twenty bucks for him to win the Masters last year. Justin shot like seven under in the first round. They're twenty dollars for I think it was about a thousand. Uh, was a or for about five thousand was ready to pay out a whole thousand dollars just on the the updated odds for Rose, and I had I had asked him if he was gonna they're going to sell out on it. Cause I mean, turning 20 bucks into a grand, just cause the guy has a, a first round 64. You got to think, Oh, I don't know if he can hold it together. He said, let's wait round two. Rosie goes out, plays pretty solid. Uh, but his, his lead definitely shrinks going into round three. That thousand turns into like 800 or something like that. And so he just let it ride. And I think Rosie crumbled on the weekend, but he had the chance to do what we all dream of. And that's take a long shot, sell them early. Cause you know, they probably can't get to the finish line. Oh, poor Matt. Yeah, shout out, Matt. All right, that does it for us. Thanks for joining us for our Masters Extravaganza. If you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram and follow us at Big Players Only Pod. Shout out Sean Foley. Shout out Ken Filler. We miss you, buddy. See you guys. Mm-hmm.